Today, walking is the new cash cow. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code for real estate wealth. And today, we've got some code cracking to do. We're actually going to delve into one of my favorite topics of property cash flow and what it actually means for people. Today, we do know in this very grim of grim worlds, we need cash flow. Warren Buffett really does encourage people to have more than one income stream. He is a man who buys multiple businesses because he wants multiple income streams. We're going to learn a lot from the great Warren Buffett as to how we should also approach life. Today, we also need parallel income. Income from property, income from side hustles, income, of course, from our own job. With the ultimate goal to get somewhere in life, And of course, for many people, that is to replace their income from their job and live passively ever after off income-producing real estate investments, rental properties, which pay you to live off. Today, I think it's really important to explore rental properties. If you've missed my last episode, backtrack. It's time to go backwards one episode because this is actually a follow-on episode from that And I tell you what, in that episode, we did explore two other big paradigms which complement what I'm going to talk to you about today. The first paradigm is tenants. The world is changing. The market is changing. Economics is changing. We live in deflation, not inflation. We live in a time where money is going backwards, not forwards. And of course, many tenants today are doing it pretty hard. There are broke people out there. You want to steer clear of them as much as you can. Go back one episode. I talk a lot about the idea of personas and tenants. So check out that episode. I also talk about the whole triad, which is three big jigsaw puzzles put together. First puzzle is your tenant. Second puzzle is you learning to be a superb landlord you learning how to help people, help tenants, but also help yourself get ahead in life by not stressing about the little things, getting on with the big things. And of course, one big part of the puzzle is holding real estate and understanding borrowing and mortgages, which we'll talk a little bit about today because the whole triad is made up of three big dynamics being a great investor, having great tenants, and of course, great rental properties. Owning real estate for a long time is hard work. Of all the businesses that start, only 3% make it 15 years or longer. Think about that. 100 businesses start, only three make it to 15 years of age or longer. You are actually in business. You are in the business of being a property investor. And I tell you what, a lot of property investors don't make it 15 years and end up per 
regular businesses that really small percentage in the club. And in real estate, we call that the 1% club. People who own real estate for a very long time that end up living off income. You've heard me talk about that before. Today on the show, we are going to delve into the science of urban properties which produce income, income producing assets. These properties are great for helping people get ahead, helping people balance their cash flow, and of course, growing their wealth. I'm going to give you a lot of value bombs, perhaps real estate you've never thought of owning before because you've never understood it the way I'm going to teach it. So take some good notes, put me on pause, go get a cup of tea, come back, sit down, let's do this. Before I get started, I do want to thank everybody who's reached out to me, giving me warm words of encouragement for the podcast so far. I've even had some funny encouragement, things like trim your nose hairs, which of course uh, I've gone and done. I was going to rename the show The uh, Urban Hairy Nose Property Investor, but no, I was advised against it. We're sticking to our guns. The Urban Property Investor is here to stay and I'm going to help you whip crack some property investments. So let's talk about cash flow. Let's talk about why it's important. Cash flow is the seed for everything. Cash flow is king. Businesses need cash flow and you are in the business of property investing. If you don't have cash flow, you struggle. And when you struggle, you give up. You get out. You sell your business. You sell your properties. So we want you to go a long time. And to go a long time, you need to hold real estate a long time. So you're going to need some cash flow as part of that puzzle. As we discussed last episode, tenants are important and also your ability to understand borrowing and being a successful landlord. The third part of the puzzle is real estate deals. Real estate deals do make a big difference in how you sustain being a property investor. Some property deals are very negatively geared. Negatively geared real estate means that you have to take money out of your back pocket to prop up owning the property. Neutrally geared properties mean you're actually owning real estate and the rent pays for the property after you do your tax deductions. And positive cash flow real estate is real estate where your tenant pays so much money in rent that it pays the mortgage and it pays the costs, but it also puts more money in your back pocket. As a property investor, it's really important at some point to become cash flow positive, to have more income producing real estate so you can stay in the game longer. So let's crack some long-term wealth activity with no cash flow, people struggle, they sell and they opt out of real estate. It is our seed capital to future long-term investments. And without it, you're going to get hurt. So let's build a property portfolio together. Let's play the cash flow game. 
How long have you held your longest property for? If it's a short period of time, three, four, five years, what you're probably experiencing right now is a lack of cash flow in your portfolio. What that actually does is it causes challenges. Remember, there's three parts to this puzzle. There's you, your tenant, and the tax man. At the end of the day, after a certain period of time, you want your tenant to be doing the lion's share of the work. In the whole triad, we have great tenants, a big part of the puzzle per the last episode, you being a great landlord, and then there's the third part of this puzzle, cash cows. Properties which are cash cows. Now, I love a good cash cow. Who doesn't like a good cash cow? I think even on Channel 7 Sunrise, they have the cash cow. He gives away 20 grand a day because everyone loves a cash cow. Comes out dancing, does the dancing cash cow. You need the dancing cash cow in your property investment journey. You need at least one of them to get you where you need to go. Now, I think we can all appreciate some of the best growing properties, capital growth orientated real estate, are not cash cows. They cost you money to own. You have to take money out of your back pocket to service them, to keep them in the real estate game. Some of the most beautiful, best designed, idyllic real estate costs a pretty penny. That real estate, of course, grows exponentially and when the market's friendly, it goes up and soars in value. I've had real estate jump in value by a million dollars because it's idyllic in the right location and grown exponentially. Of course, a million dollars in growth far outweighs anything you can get from cash flow. But to get that million dollars in growth, you need cash flow to get you there. Because when it comes, when that growth cycle hits, nobody really knows. So it's much easier to plan growth rather than guess growth. When you plan growth, you're also planning to have sustainability from income-producing real estate to get you capital growth. So a fantastic growth property that might be in a really classy suburb, it might be close to the city, it might have really good land content in a good suburban neighbourhood, it might be secondhand, firsthand, it could be a great investment for future growth. But as we know, the problem with the property is it's probably going to cost you money out of your back pocket to hold. When that growth is slow to come, you start to struggle because the bills add up, the strata fees add up, the council rates add up, the insurance adds up, and the repairs and maintenance start to add up. All of a sudden, you're on this journey and you're like, can I even do this? All of a sudden, you lose your job. You need to get a new one. You have 
a child and, of course, now you've got a new cost. You've got to replace the car and all of a sudden the rat race starts to wear you down. What is better is to plan from the beginning a system which allows you to use a cash flow positive property or an income producing piece of real estate to pay for a capital growth property which could, for all intensive purposes, over a 10 or a 15 year period, make you a million bucks. Who doesn't want a million bucks? We all want Koshi's cash cow. We want the dancing cash cow. So let's talk property. To become wealthy out of real estate, you need to buy real estate. A lot of people read every book on real estate investing, go to every seminar and spend way too long out of the cycle. Remember, to do the plans I'm talking about, you've got to take action. If you don't take action, everything I'm saying to you right now is worthless because there are only so many days in the year years in a decade and decades in your life. And if you don't start playing the game of real estate monopoly in Australia or New Zealand, you're going to be a fence sitter. You're going to end up on that pensioner economy. For me, I teach a lot of people and the number most people want is $100,000 passive income. To own $100,000 passive income, you need around $2 million worth of real estate debt-free paid off so you can produce at least 5% income, which is $100,000. Now, to do that, you're going to have to build this beautiful portfolio. That might mean two, three, four, six, seven properties. You're going to play the game of growth, but you're also going to play the game of needing cash flow so that your growth happens. You're going to give yourself more time. So what type of deals are really good for cash flow? Well, this is where we have big debates in the industry because regional Australia is really amazing for cash flow. When you go to the bush, you find properties at a low price point with a high rental return based on the price point of the property. So you can go to towns today in regional New South Wales, in regional Queensland, regional Victoria, buy a property for as little as $5,000. I saw one online for $5,000 last week cheapest property in Australia. The place looked terrifyingly shit. $5,000. It rented for $50 a week. The cheapest property in Australia. The yield on a $5,000 property renting for $50 a week is huge. But let's not underestimate the reason the yield is huge is the properties are really cheap and they're cheap for a reason because they're in neighbourhoods or suburbs or townships which really have very limiting economic expectations. They are not cities. They are not full of people. They are struggling. In fact, many townships in Australia particularly 
are dying townships. They are towns where people are leaving. The population is growing older, the younger population is leaving, and we are ending up with ghost towns. There are now ghost towns throughout New South Wales. I stayed in one the other month. I had a great time. I was one of maybe 20 people in the town. Have a look at it. Hill End, New South Wales. Very nice ghost town. People have not lived there properly for 50 years because the township offers no economy. So we have to be very careful. There are certainly some good regional cities which are like a hybrid of a CBD big city and a township dying. Some of those areas are really good to own real estate in. And of course, the yields are strong. In the right regional township, you can get yields from 6 to 10%. What that means is you're going to get more income in your back pocket. You're going to have rent coming in and it's going to put money in your pocket and you're going to be able to use that money to prop up capital growth properties in hot locations, gun locations. Now, I'm going to give you an example. Me and my dad, we went out to a place called Mudgy. If anyone's been to Mudgy, it is a beautiful, beautiful city in New South Wales. It's a township. Now, not much happens in Mudgy, but Mudgy people are very nice. In Mudgy today, there is different economies. There is viticulture. Viticulture is wine, right? So they make mudgy wines. It's pretty good red wine. Anyone ever had a mudgy wine? It's pretty tasty, right? They have mining with uh, some of the coal mines that are pretty close by. They have also agriculture. They grow a lot of different produce. And of course, they have the township as well, which is full of related services, doctors, lawyers, you name it. Mudgy is what I would call a very sustainable regional centre. My dad and I went and got a block of flats there about seven years ago. We paid $680,000 for six units. Today, those units rent for $1,400 a week. We take that income and we put it into other property investments in capital growth locations, in hot locations. And when we say hot, we are talking some of the best capital growth locations in Australia. Properties around Sydney Harbour, properties which are just hot real estate, right? But we use the income from the regional community to service opportunities in big cities. Now, word of warning, lots of regional markets suck. Don't go to them, be careful. There are only a select few that work really, really well for income because they have multiple economies. Maji has multiple economies. It's a very rare town. It's got education, health. It's got viticulture, agriculture, mining. It's got everything right? It's a very, very 
unique example. Now, 90% of cash flow, I prefer to come out of urban areas, not regional areas. This show is called The Urban Property Investor because I am an urban property investor. I want to create cash flow out of urban areas, not go to regional areas. Regional real estate is not good. Regional real estate, for the most part, is not high returning. It is just inexpensive. Buying a property for $100,000 that rents for $200 a week is not high returning real estate. Now, you might argue the point. You say, what the hell are you talking about? That's a huge return. It's like a 10% return. It is a cheap property. $200 a week is not a lot of income. You're not going to replace your income by owning $200 a week. You need to find income which is $500 and $600 and $1,000 a week. You've got to live off some serious money in retirement. And owning one property, paying $200 a week, isn't going to get you far. So we have to appreciate regional Australia. Some of it's really dying. And where it does work, you've got to be double careful that the township is really, really going somewhere. And triple careful that you're not following what we call fool's gold in real estate. Fool's gold in real estate is buying a cheap property with a shitty rent by world standards. A shitty rent by world standards is 200 bucks a week. That's not a lot of money. Now, when you put into consideration the cost of, of to maintenance, repairs, bills, here's the real truth about really cheap properties. It costs the same to get a plumber to unblock a sink in a $5 million house than it does in a $50,000 house. Exactly the same cost. Costs the same amount to put a camera down a pipe, a plumbing issue in a $50,000 house than a $5 million house. So what happens is your income on really cheap properties never supports really the overarching long-term ownership problems that are associated with real estate. You have a block, you have a tree blocking a, uh, a, a pipe, it's going to cost you five grand. If you're not earning big bucks from your income, you're paying for it, right? And regional real estate sucks like that. So be wary. You can pull it off. I'm not going to discourage you, but I want you to think urban and we're going to go urban right now. So when it comes to urban cash flow, there are some gateways to create income. And probably one of my favorite ways is Airbnb. Now, coronavirus has come along and kicked the living shit out of Airbnb, giving it a big, big boot in the ass. But it'll be back. Coronavirus won't go forever. And the beautiful thing about the right Airbnb property is pretty quickly you can go from getting a short-term income to getting a normal tenant. If it's in the right location, 
You're not going to have a problem going from one to the other in a matter of three weeks. It's that quick. Airbnb is one of my favorite ways to create cash flow. Why? Because you can do it in the urban world and you can do it in one of the best areas for capital growth in urban places. Because where people want to stay are usually lifestyle, fun, energetic places where people see holiday value or business value. Airbnb is one of the best ways to create cash flow. Now, if you don't understand the Airbnb world, I'll take you on a bit of a journey. If we think about the idea for 100 years, taxis were the main form of travel. All of a sudden today, people don't call a taxi. They take their iPhone out of their, phone, out of their back pocket and they Uber. For 100 years, taxis were the main way to get around. Disruption absolutely game-changed the taxi industry. Today, the number one mode of transport would be Uber. The idea of Airbnb is just a platform like Uber. It just means you can connect to millions of people fast, quickly, and if you're good at what you do digitally, you can make your property stand out and you can get very, very good rent for it. Now, normally, if you're going to create income, the biggest way to create income in real estate is to play the Monopoly board. And if you've ever played Monopoly, to win Monopoly, you need to own hotels. When you own hotels, you're getting absolutely huge amounts of income. You've probably played Monopoly and someone's landed on your piece and you've had the hotel and you're like, I'm going to charge you a shitload of rent, right? That is the concept here. Residential real estate is a good use, but the highest and best use of real estate anywhere, better than commercial, better than industrial, is hotels. They are cash cows. With the idea of Airbnb, you are your own hotel. You are your own hotelier. In fact, you can become what is known as a rent entrepreneur, an entrepreneur of income. Now, many of my students are rent entrepreneurs. They have bought properties which they are the host for, the hotelier for, they are the cleaner for. They have given up their full-time jobs to run their own portfolio as cash cows. So don't miss the bit here. People today are replacing their income from Airbnb because the rent is so big. Of course, coronavirus has created a puzzle to get through, probably a year's worth of puzzle making, and then it'll go back to normal. Why? Why do people want to stay in homes, in nice apartments, as opposed to hotels? 
Well, I can tell you all sorts of reasons. Most of them, though, is comfort, location, and of course, the economic value that you can get sometimes from renting a home or an apartment over a hotel. There are a few ways to do this. Now, making money and cash flow from real estate and Airbnb comes in all sorts of formats. For me, in my residential home where I live, once a year, I rent out the home at Christmas time. I swap my travel needs for someone else's travel needs. They pay me $20,000 to live in my house. I take that $20,000 that they pay me for a two and a half week stay and I pick anywhere in the world I want to go to. Why? Because I've got 20 grand in my hot little hand and I take off and I go and enjoy life. I have not paid for a holiday for 10 years. Now, think about that. A lot of people actually save up money, put it aside in the money jar to actually go and have a holiday. All of a sudden, that money, which is normally lost money for a good experience, no doubt, is redirected into paying off debt, building your offset, doing something different with your income. So there are a few ways to be an Airbnb up. First way is to rent your own home. You do that when you can, when you want to travel, you put it up and you get going. You just get on with it. And ultimately, if your property is in a really good location, people will rent it because it's going to be in demand. This is where lifestyle locations, which I've talked about before so many times in this podcast, come into their own. Lifestyle locations have versatility. They can rent short-term, they can rent long-term, and they get capital growth. The second way to create income from Airbnb is to be a host, right? A host is someone who has a room or spare inventory and they're looking to create more income in their life so that they can park more of that income into income producing assets or capital growth assets. So I tell you what, if you're not hung up about renting a spare room, do it. You're going to get an extra $10,000, $20,000 a year from your spare inventory. And of course, you can do that to control more wealth in your life. The final way to do it is to be uh, actually just Airbnb your properties at a short-term level for a very long time, something I love doing. Now, for me, there are five different parts of the puzzle when it comes to being an Airbnb or a rent entrepreneur. I prefer properties which have elements which attract people. Now, the first element, obviously, is tourism. Now, this is where little quaint properties in little weird villages that people love to go to are not a bad investment. But for me, I want to stick to urban areas and have the capital growth that a big city like Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane can get. 
So identifying a good Airbnb marketplace to create cash flow to pay for capital growth, I look for things like hospital areas, hospital belts, sporting event locations, CBD locations, and convention centers. The reason I choose those areas is when Airbnb issues occur, I can easily put a property on the long-term rental market next to a hospital, next to a convention center, next to CBDs. Because most of that infrastructure is within five kilometers to our major metropolitan areas. And of course, if the property stands out, it's gonna rent no problem at all. And of course, because of coronavirus, I've had to do some switching. But the income can be fantastic. I recently had a property, two bedroom apartment that I bought for $640,000, earning $78,000 a year. $78,000 a year. That's a huge amount of income. That income pays for my mortgage and puts about another $25,000 in my pocket per annum. Guess what I do with that $25,000 in my pocket per annum? I pay for capital growth properties, which I have in rockstar locations. Areas which will blow your mind when it comes to capital growth. Areas which could accelerate in value by hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars. Why do I do that? Growth is important. Growth is really a key fundamental of property success. You can choose Airbnb properties in funky locations. I'm a big fan of it. Don't hold back. Don't be shy. Learn how to do it. Join the Airbnb world. You'll never look back. And I tell you what, good old coronavirus is actually a great time to learn the skills needed to be a rent entrepreneur because there is a bit of dirty work. It isn't just sitting back and collecting the rent. There is some involvement and psychological dynamics you need to understand about being a short-term renter. Being a short-term renter is not about consistent income. It's about absolutely working income. It's about harvesting results. Now, I'll tell you what, one of the investment plans and strategies I love is the second dynamic around urban income. Now, this is one you've probably never heard before. This is probably the first time you're going to hear pod, pod. A pod is a cash cow today. I invest in pods. I love pods. What is a pod? A pod is a pedestrian-orientated development area. A pod. A walk-score neighbourhood. Now, think about what I'm going to tell you. If you want income, do you ever see owning a property, say, 50 kilometres from the CBD, producing income for you to replace your job. Now, here's the thing. 
Someone living 50 kilometres away from the major infrastructure of a CBD is living there due to affordability reasons, otherwise they wouldn't live there. They're probably paying $400 or $500 a week for a house 50 k's away from the city. Do you ever see that property renting for $1,200 or $1,500 a week? Could someone who is living their life based on affordability ever be capable of paying that kind of income to you? If your ultimate goal is to run a property portfolio, run a long-term business and replace your income, for me, I steer clear of outskirt areas of CBD or urban realms. The reason I steer clear of them from a cash flow point of view, not saying from a capital growth, saying from a cash flow point of view, is the profile of those areas are not set up for high incomes. They're not set up for you to buy a property that rents for $500 a week today to come back in 15 years and that's $1,500 a week. That's never going to happen. It's a pipe dream. If someone tells you that, they're wrong. You are never going to get $1,500 a week from a property 40, 50 k's from the city. So where will you get it? Well, it already exists. Properties which are walkable to major CBDs. Walkable properties. Properties where you don't need a car, where people don't have to fight the rat race. Properties in urban landscapes globally where people can walk to major infrastructure. Today, walking is the new cash cow. Urban areas which are designed around walking and suburbs which are designed around walking have a 66% faster growth rate than areas which are designed around the automobile. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Today, walking is the new cash cow. If you can find a suburb or an area which is completely orientated about walk score, it's going to be worth more into the future from a rental point of view, particularly if it's a productivity center close to a CBD. Now, walk score neighborhoods work in what I call mature cities. A mature city today is Sydney. Sydney is a very mature city when it comes to walk economics. If you look at Surrey Hills or Darlinghurst or King's Cross or Potts Point or Miller's Point, The Rocks, if you look at the rents that people pay to live in walkable real estate, you'll be blown away. One bedroom's renting for $1,000 a week. That's $50,000 a year. Today, people pay for a two-bedroom in Goulburn Street, Surrey Hills, $1,100 a week. Now, remember we were talking about good old mate, the old cheap one out in regional Australia for renting for $200 a week? Now we're talking $1,200, $1,100, dollars $1, a week. We're talking fifty grand from one property. Now, here's the revelation, the value bomb of this conversation. 
The value bomb of this conversation is at some point you sell down your real estate and keep high income producing real estate. You actually use your high income real estate to prop up your capital growth properties, but then you sell your capital growth properties and actually pay off your high income producing real estate. Why do you keep your high income producing real estate? Why do you think we do that? Because when we're older, we don't need capital growth. We need income. We want income paying us. So we're going to keep the income producing real estate. Now, the mature cities around the world have big rents. If you go to Covent Garden, London, two bedroom, 2000 bucks a week. If you go to Greenwich Village, New York, one bedroom apartment, 1600 US a week. If you go to Shibuya, Tokyo, walking distance, studio apartment, 40 square meters, 1000 bucks a week. Okay? So Sydney is there. Sydney is up there with New York, London. People are paying these huge amounts of money because a lot of people need the infrastructure and the ability and mobility and proximity to the CBD, people with money. Now, of course, you would argue, and I know what you're thinking, well, I can't afford a property walking distance to Sydney. Yes, you missed the boat. You should have been there 15 years ago. You should have bought Kirribilli 20 years ago. You weren't alive. I get that. But maturing cities offer you the opportunity to plan for cash flow. Maturing cities like Melbourne, Brisbane, in Australia, places like Berlin in Europe, they are absolutely maturing. And what that actually means is you just have to look at what happened in Sydney and wait. And of course, for me, I do this a lot in Melbourne. I'm a pod buyer in Melbourne. I buy walking distance to Melbourne's biggest CBD. It's number one place to hang out. Melbourne people love their culture. They love their atmosphere. They love their city. And they love dining. They love hanging out. In fact, Melbourne people have got the coronavirus because they're so bloody nice to each other. They are so friendly. They hang out so much. They're actually a nice people. Sydney people don't have the coronavirus because we're horrible. We never hang out with each other. We don't want to go and hang out in a bar with each other. We want to do something completely different. In fact, Sydney people will never actually get the coronavirus in bulk because we're all pricks who don't hang out together, right? The Melbourne people are getting it because they love culture. They love hanging out. And for them, it's very, very hard coronavirus because in their urban world, they love socialising. They love going downstairs, listening to live bands and uh, going to restaurants and all sorts of things, right? That's the Melbourne life. Melbourne is New York. Melbourne is New York. Now, think about that. How valuable will real estate be where you do not need a car in 10 years' time? You can walk to everything. Now, reason walk score areas will go up is actually they're the most undersupplied market in Australia. Now, think about this. 96% of real estate 
is real estate you have to drive to. 96% of real estate in our cities, you have to drive to it. Now, our cities are huge. They're 200 kilometers in diameter a lot of the time. They are massive, right? They sprawl 60 kilometers one way, 60 kilometers the other way, north, south, east, west. That is huge. 200 kilometers, 96% of it is drivable. 3% of it is what we call last mile nudges. 3% of it, you can scoot or cycle or quick tram or you can Uber and 10 bucks and you're there, right? 1% of it is walkable. 1%. And often people misunderstand that 1%. Everyone got Sydney wrong. Everyone. Everyone said, don't buy in Sydney CBD, it's going to be overcrowded. Look at the prices. People are paying $100 million to live in Sydney CBD. People pay $2.4 million for a one-bedroom apartment. Everybody was wrong. They were wrong. Because the urban world wants the infrastructure of a CBD. Even though coronavirus is reframing people working from home and all sorts of wonderful stuff that will eventually go away, what will not go away is the culture of a CBD. It is fun. It is energetic. It is life, man. It is life. Life is not sitting at home hiding in your house from coronavirus. Life is being in the CBD. That's why Melbourne people have it because they're full of life. They're full of energy, right? So here's the thing, from a cash flow point of view, we absolutely, absolutely want pods, walk score places. Pods go off, they are awesome, they will be cash cows into the future and of course they're probably going to get some pretty good capital growth as well. Nothing like a suburbs mystery when you can walk it, when you can feel it. And the reality is a lot of people in society have punishing workloads. Think about a lawyer. A lawyer works all day and half of the night. Do they really want to drive an hour and a half in traffic at the end of the day to get home? Wake up bitterly early to get back to work? No. They've got to have documents in courthouses first thing in the morning, right? They have to live the life of the urban warrior. Accountants, futures traders, bankers, executive assistants, EAs, PAs, executives. These people earn big bucks. They earn 20 grand a month, some of these people, 30 grand a month. Paying five or six grand in rent for a one or two bedroom apartment is not a problem. Now remember... Part of this puzzle comes back to the tenants. These are high-income producing tenants. They don't give a shit if they pay $1,100 or $1,200 a week. That's not in their DNA. They are time poor. They're not penny thrifters. They're not trying to understand, oh, I can't pay another 50 bucks. They're like, I'll pay you 50 bucks more if that guy doesn't get it. That is the mindset of these human beings, right? They're ferocious tigers and they want to walk to work right the third cash flow dynamic or another cash flow dynamic is commercial properties i'm not going to get into this in big detail on this show today 
We will do a commercial property overview soon into the future. Of course, commercial properties, I think for most property investors are a bit of a no-go zone. The reason is they're complicated. You need a good lawyer to uh, look after those properties. You can have some serious rental disputes with commercial people. You can have all sorts of drama. And of course, owning commercial properties, lending is different. the cost of borrowing money is different. You can be margin called on owning commercial properties. So we won't go there today, but certainly for the right human being, if you've elevated through learning the basics of real estate, one day owning commercial properties could be on your radar. But I prefer you to start with pods, Airbnb, and of course, Dual income properties in urban areas. Dual income or duplexes or small blocks of flats are a great way to create cash flow. All that simply means is that you've got a property with multiple income streams from one title of real estate, right? So the highest and best use of property, if you can throw as many properties on a piece of land and you're getting an income from it, you're going to do really, really well, right? And of course, today, uh, to buy multiple blocks of flats in big CBD areas can cost a lot of money, right? Block of flats went up the other week in Neutral Bay. It was like $7.5 million for like 12 flats. I mean, who can do that? Old rich dudes, that's all that can do that, right? But you can go to many parts of Australia and buy a block of flats or build a duplex. I built a duplex up in Newcastle. You know, I paid $670,000 for it. Today, it's renting for $950 a week. $950 on $670, right? I'm getting extra cash flow. I'm putting that cash flow into hot dog capital growth areas, right? That's the plan here. Remember, you need some cash flow. That old duplex, mate, it's a workhorse. It's my workhorse. And guess what I'm keeping in retirement? That property. Why? Because it's producing $50,000 a year in income. What do I want in retirement? $50,000 a year in income. Not 20 grand in income from my capital growth property. I want 50 grand in income from my block of fats or my pod or my Airbnb. This is what I'm looking for. And there's good income producing, cheaper properties today that you can buy. Southeast Queensland has some good options for duplexes or dual incomes, which is just basically a granny flat and a property. I mean, you can pick up a granny flat and a property in Southeast Queensland from like $540,000. Now, the fact that it's got dual income allows it to grow. If you've got rental growth of 5%, you've actually got rental growth of 10% because you've got two properties, both growing at 5%. So, of course, mathematically, it is a good option for people. You can pull in an urban area returns from 5.5% all the way up to 7, 8, 9, 10%. And of course, remember, that's probably a better option than going to weird little town that is dying and not working, right? 
Remember, we want income and people provide us income. I'll let you register this. Double income, no kids. Probably the best tenants you can ever have. Why are double income, no kids, the best tenants you can ever have? Dinks? Dinks? Well, it's really double the rent. Where they congregate, they have high disposable incomes. That really does allow you to push the envelope when it comes to rent increases. Of course, there are many ways to shape property portfolios. For me, using cash flow positive real estate in urban areas is absolutely the best way to own real estate. You can create some debt-free structures. You can use things like offsets and really, really penetrate debt using income-producing real estate. You can do all sorts of extra things to build your wealth when it comes to owning cash flow. Build a property portfolio with cash flow. You will hold real estate longer. Remember the whole triad from last episode and this episode. Last episode, it was all about choosing the best tenants, being the best landlord, a successful landlord. Throw on there being a positive cash flow urban warrior as an owner, and you've got the best whole triad portfolio maker you can imagine in real estate. Hey, I hope you've enjoyed the episode really enjoyed bringing it to you it's one of my hot hot topics i love presenting on hope you've enjoyed the information i'm going to catch you on the next episode of the urban property investor until then take care and i will catch you real soon thanks for tuning in to the urban property investor to never miss an episode make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on youtube i would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of The Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.